as you give them money. That's right. The 2022 MLB draft is history. Who did the Cincinnati Reds pick? And who's all signed? Plus, the trade deadline is approaching. Who's no longer a Red? And now who's new to Cincinnati? Plus, a little bit more local sports tidbits. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Lee W. Mowen of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and I'm here to talk to you about BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline.net, where the game starts. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. The podcast talking local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio area sports. Listen on your favorite podcast platforms by visiting cindaypod.com. That's C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D.com. Intro theme is Overdrive by Matrika from Upbeat.io. Here's your host, Lee W. Mowen. One quick tidbit before we talk about the draft and the trades. Yesterday was supposed to be the first day of local sports radio returning to Dayton. That got pushed back a week. Uh, Double checked with everyone. And yeah, the TKDS sports and iHeart Dayton deal still going through. Just you got to wait a week longer. And in fact, Yours truly is going to help out with the Saturday morning radio show from 8 to 11, I believe is the times. So that will start on the 13th. Yeah, I'm (laughs) like, wow, it's already here. But for those that were expecting local sports yesterday, August 1st, that's why I believe something about a sponsor getting in the fold is the reason why I I. That's my guess. So don't worry. Local sports radio is coming back. And you don't have to just point your radio to that boring station. So just so you know. And yes, I still can't believe next Saturday be the first time I got to wake up, get ready and yeah, actually be back on radio. I'm really excited. So anyway, the Reds draft and the trades. Needless to say, a lot of people liked what Cincinnati did in the 2022 MLB draft. And from this article on MLB, excuse me, that is Bleacher Report, Joel Reuter, the Cincinnati Reds, they got themselves an A minus. A minus. And before you ask, the lowest grade issued was a D to the Los Angeles Dodgers and Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. The Rays actually sucked on drafting for once. The team that really has stockpiled their farm system through and through. The Dodgers just kind of like the Los Angeles Rams. You know, trade all your first picks, get, you know, headline talent and win now type of thing. But yeah, Reds got an A minus. Which, why? Well, the Rays are docked because they thought that Xavier Isaac was a reach at the 29th overall pick. He wasn't ranked in the top 80 prospects on MLB.com or Baseball America. MLB.com had him at 113, Baseball America at 92. So picked at 29, that is a big reach. So something of an unknown against quality pitching after a foot injury kept him from playing on the showcase circuit last summer. So a lot of big question marks, but then again, the Rays only took one pitcher with their first seven selections. And this is a franchise and farm system that can develop arms. So not sure why there's just one, unless there's a big stockpile there. 
So one selection for the Dodgers in the first 100 picks at number 40 because they exceeded the luxury tax threshold by the maximum amount. But that number 40th pick was Louisville catcher Dalton Rushing. So that's a pretty nice snag. So why did the Reds get some of the best grades? Well, let me tell you. I can find it. Cincinnati Reds, Cam Collier at number 18. This is Cam Collier, who was ranked in the top 10 in both Baseball America and MLB.com. He's going to turn 18 in November. He graduated high school early to go to one of the finest junior college baseball programs in the United States. That's Chipola Junior College. And all he did there was hit 333 with 20 extra base hits and had a pretty good ratio of strikeouts to walks. That would be precisely 32 strikeouts and walking 25 times. So, yeah, that's not bad, especially since, you know, strikeouts are very high nowadays and, you know, only having about seven more walk or strikeouts and walks. I don't think there's a coach out there that would complain about that. Best tools in the entire draft, possibly for this third baseman, above average to plus power potential, a double plus arm, advanced and strong approach at the plate. So Cam Collier seems like the real deal. Maybe even, hey, our future third baseman in a few years. So, yeah, the Reds got a steal. This was supposed to be a guy that was gone in the top 10, dropped all the way to 18th, nearly falling to the 20th spot. But hey, Red Psalm snatched him up. I love that pick. Now, the compensation round, the Reds got a 32nd pick, and they went with another young third baseman in Sal Stewart out of Westminster Christian High School, Miami, Florida, and one of the top bats in. The high school class this year. So Red's focusing on some offense. Now you might have the bells ringing because the Reds went back to back third baseman with their 18th and 32nd pick. Thanks for the compensation of losing Nick Castellanos in free agency. Well, the third base is a pretty tough spot in the infield to play. That's the hot corner. And you know, play third base you can play close to anywhere so athleticism I don't know if we see Collier at third I don't know if we see Stewart at third I just think that hey you know we got some athletic guys out there that can hit so what does Stewart bring to the table from Westminster Christian High School in Miami Florida above average hit tool above average to plus raw power <laughs> it is known for his quality at bats and ability to handle Good secondary offerings like your curveball, your breaking ball, your off-speed stuff. No one really seems to question whether or not he can hit. The question is, can he stay at third in the long haul? Six foot one, two twenty-five as a senior, and there's more than a few scouts who believe his ultimate destination on the field will be at first base. So again, Stout Stewart, great bat but probably not going to stay at third, most likely at first base, which is fine, you know? Because sometimes, you know, you see pitchers that start and then they're good relievers or maybe good relievers turn to good starters or good starters stay good starters. You get what I'm saying. So two solid at-bats. Sounds promising. We move on to round two, 55th pick is Logan Tanner out of Mississippi State. Catcher. With the Reds' lone second-round pick. Best defensive catcher in the draft this season. A big-time arm and good receiving abilities behind the plate. So, hey, a guy that can call the game and help his pitching staff. Hmm, sounds like something the Reds might be interested in. Especially since Tyler Stevenson is hurt for uh, the up-team's time this year. And there's murmurings that maybe Tyler Stevenson gets moved to first after Joey Votto retires. Which, you know, up until this year, I probably wouldn't entertain that, but... Uh, man, I wish Tyler Stevenson would stop getting hurt. 
I want to see him do well with the Reds. I know it's not his fault, and I'm not blaming him one bit. It's just, man, it's he's had some bad luck. So at the plate, that's where Logan Tanner needs to work on. He's never hit better than 287 in his three seasons at MSU. His hit tool is considered to be below average. Does have some power and showed good power in 2021, but it kind of fell back in 2022. His slugging percentage went down by 100 points. So maybe not someone that you know, can hit the best. Cam Collier, Sal Stewart seems to have some good bats. Logan Tanner, more power bat. Maybe that gets refined through the farm system. Who knows? The second second round pick for the Reds and the final pick on day one, Oregon State's Justin Boyd, an outfielder. The 2022 season was the first year he played each and every day, and he took advantage of that, hitting 373 and swiping 24 bases in 62 games. Primarily for the Beavers, a right fielder in his two seasons, but his best bet for an everyday job, if he can slide to center, because his power does just doesn't profile enough for a corner position. Good speed, but lacks experience in the speed position. If he can play center, it takes a little pressure off his bat compared to if he can't play center and has to maximize every aspect of his game as an everyday guy. So interesting there. I mean, sounds like he would be okay in center, but, you know, it's just about being able to cover a little bit more ground than your corner spots. I like it. I think Justin Boyd can be a nice fit for the Reds one day. So that closes out day one. How about day two? We won't spend as much time because we're talking now, was it eight rounds from three to ten? So Bryce Hubbard picked in the third round a left-handed pitcher out of Florida State. First arm pick by Cincinnati. Left-hander, six foot one, one eighty-five. Fastball goes between 90-93. Can get it up to 97. A high spin rate to go with velocity. And Hubbard has shown two breaking balls with an above-average curve in the mid to upper 70s. And a slider that's okay, around 78 to 82. But he developed that last year. His changeup needs a little work, but that's something you probably won't see out of him unless he develops it more. So in his time at college at Florida State, he saw his control improve each and every year and just walked 21 batters in 2022 in 76 innings. Also followed up with a good showing in the Cape Cod League summer 2021, where his ERA was at 0.87. And he just walked eight batters in 31 innings. So, hey, someone that doesn't walk some, a lot of people, that sounds nice. There's some scouts out there that think bullpen guy, but he'll probably get a chance to start in the minors and see if he can develop and remain a starter. So, again, like I was mentioning, sometimes, you know, starters turn into bullpen guys, and that's okay. And Sal Romano was one name, which was no longer on the team. TJ Antone, uh, Amir Garrett, who's also no longer on the team. Michael Lorenzen actually started for the Dayton Dragons. And I feel like he started one game for the Reds. It wasn't very often, but there you go. Also dipping back into the Chipola Junior College pool, the Reds in the round fourth pick, Kenya Huggins. He's a right-handed pitcher, 6'3", 215. And this guy, low 90s fastball, can get it up to 96. Slider is above average and his best pitch. It works in the low to mid 80s, and you can throw it in both in the zone and get hitters chasing. Changeup is something he doesn't throw often, so yeah. The 19-year-old does need to work on improving his control. He walked 32 batters, had 97 strikeouts in 73 innings. So that's not terrible. The 32 walks with 97 strikeouts. Also threw in Cape Cod League this summer, six innings. So, hey, sounds promising. Round five, a catcher from Virginia Tech, Cade Hunter. 
previously drafted in 2019, the 35th round. And Hunter decided, I'm going to go play college ball. Didn't play much in his first two seasons with the Hokies. And 2020, because, you know, COVID. And then broke his teammate in 2021. Hey, mate. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's is the is that same injury that oh uh Reese is dealing with. Healthy in 2022, put a big numbers at the plate, hitting 14 doubles and 17 homers, showing his above average to plus power. Hit tool is below average, however, and scouts wonder how much average he'll hit for just because he struggles with secondary offerings, meaning once pitchers decide no fastballs for you. You're going to have to learn how to hit the curve, the slides, and stuff like that. Defensively, solid catcher, above average arm. Needs to continue to improve his receiving abilities, but has gotten better with his skills since high school days. So, hey, some time at Virginia Tech seems to have helped him out. Going around six, it's Zach Maxwell, a right-handed pitcher out of Georgia Tech. You get a theme in game two. Uh, three of the four picks have been pitchers. The second right-hander, and Zach Maxwell, what does he bring to the bump? Velocity. Mid to upper 90s and can scorch 101 miles per hour. Velocity is high and also has a great spin rate and gets good movement. It also shows an above average to plus slider at times. That works in the mid-80s. Showed a change up this season, but it's something he'll need to keep on developing. So what's the catch with Zach Maxwell? Well, according to scouts, below average control. As a freshman and sophomore at Georgia Tech, he walked more batters than he pitched innings. This past season, he walked 41 in 51 in a third. Stuff is there, just needs to develop control. Maybe a back end of the bullpen caliber reliever. But again, control, control, control. In fact, looking at the full stats here, 98 walks issued in his time at Georgia Tech. In 2020, that shortened season, he walked 16 and 14 in the third. In 2021, walked 41 and 32 innings and 2022 he walked 41 and 51 in a third so our first infield position on day two round seven the reds pick up texas trey faulting of the longhorns above average defender at shortstop shows range and a plus arm of that position the defense leads to the reports also has solid speed and average power potential he can tap into the hitting aspect is the big question mark. Feltin can play in the field. It's just the hitting that needs to come up. And 292 play appearances with Texas this year. Struck out 104 times, which is 36% of the time. A little bit high. If it was half of that, that would be probably needing to work on getting more contact. At 266 in his career at Texas, topping out this season at 282. So premium defender, that needs some work. Round eight, Chris McElvain out of Vanderbilt. Right-handed pitcher at 6'205". And entering 2022, he made one start in his first two seasons. Although in summer ball, he did start. But he made 16 starts as a junior at Vanderbilt and posted a 4.27 ERA in 86 and a third. Striking out 100, walking 44. Fastball works in the low 90s. Can get as high as 96 with solid movement. Slider is the best offering. Sounds familiar. Flashing above average in the low 80s. Also shows a pretty decent cutter. There's a finge average changeup that rounds out his four-pitch mix. His control of Vanderbilt was solid at best. So maybe something to work on. He's going to get most out of his pitch mix and remain a starter. He's going to have to throw more strikes and improve the control. So maybe a bullpen guy with an 11-6 record after three years with the Commodores, a 4.33 ERA and 141 in a third, walking 75, striking out 165. 
not some bad numbers, but again, stuff to work on. Round nine, Rob Hensey, uh, Monmouth University, left-hander, six for four, two twenty. Four-year pitcher with Monmouth. I believe they're the nope. That's Dartmouth with the big green. Rob Hensey went from a solid walk rate as a freshman to showing an elite walk rate over the next three seasons. And last year, just walked 13 batters in 81 and a third and struck out 102. Wowza. That's uh, that's eye popping there. Fastball goes between 88 to 92. Slider can hit the upper 70s, change up low 80s with some solid fade. So, Rob Hensey. Sounds like another guy that can go in the back of the pen. And closing up day two is right-hander from Gonzaga, Brody Jesse. I believe that's how you say it. It is. Oh, I guess it is Brody Jesse. A redshirt sophomore pitched out of the bullpen in both his seasons with Gonzaga. Racked up plenty of strikeouts, but the walks have been high. Fastball works in the mid 90s. We'll touch 98 on his best days. Best pitch is an above-average slider that'll throw in the low 80s. Also shows a below-average changeup at times. So, some stuff that might swing in the bullpen. And we move on to day three, the last rounds, 11th through the 20th. So, we'll get through these as quick as possible. Because I know, you know, you can go read these articles yourself. By the way, all of this is from RedsMeyerLeagues.com. Except the first article, that's RedLegNation.com. But they're the same family, so there you go. <laughs> Round 11, Bren, excuse me, Ben Broody. South Kingston High School in Rhode Island. Right-handed pitcher, 6'3", 200. Scouts didn't really get to see much of Ben Broody as a junior after he hurt his back and missed the year. Jumped out of the gate his senior year, throwing 92 to 95 and touched 97 in the spring. Also, that pitch shows some good sinking action. His slider could use a little bit of forming in the shape, but he'll flash an above average one at times. So there's promise with the pitch slider. Sorry, I forgot which one I was talking about. There's a change up, but it's a pitch she'll use sparingly. Mechanics have some effort to them, so a little tweaking there. He might, you know, he might be well. And below average control at times, meaning work on the control. Both lead to believe that future reliever is probably in his cards, but there's enough stuff there. Could get a shot to start. Round 12 is Mason Pelio, right-handed pitcher out of Boston College, 6'3", 230. And the first sentence of his scouting report struggles to throw strikes. Walk 20 batters with 21 strikeouts and 18 and two thirds with six starts and seven calls from the pen at Boston College. His control wasn't as bad, but still a bit concerning in his first three seasons as a starter. So struggles to throw strikes, but his control wasn't as bad. I don't know that to me, it just seems like. Are you saying that he's trying to maybe be a little too cute and dance outside and inside the strike zone and maybe not hit it as much? I don't know. That that just, I don't know. You can take forward what um, you want. Fastball goes between 92-94, can hit 97, above average changeup, and his mid-70s curve is a below average offering. So, work on the curve. Round 13 is Jonathan Harmon. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Northwestern State. 6'5", 195. And with his three years with Northwestern State, his best year with his most appearance was the previous year. 79 and a third, a 3.52 ERA, five wins, six losses. He struck out 49, walked 23. So not a lot on Jonathan Harmon, but there's some promise there. Each of the three years, he struck out more and he walked. His best ratio, I mentioned 2022, 49 to 23, 2021, 42 to 27. And his first year, only pitched 25 innings, but struck out 14, walked nine 
and picked up a win. So not a lot on Harmon, but the 14th round pick, there's a little bit more on him. Jared Lyons. His school is listed as George Mason, but apparently started at Boston College. Right into pitcher, six foot one, one ninety. Struggled most of his time at BC. Put up a solid junior season. The control and walk numbers aren't where you like to see him. Pitched better in the Cape Cod League in the last two summers, throwing forty four and a third, allowing twenty seven hits, walking nineteen, striking out forty nine. ERA two point oh three. Tasty numbers. Fastballs in the low nineties. A good twelve six break on his curveball in the upper seventies. Gets a change up around the mid 80s, which needs some work. So altogether, did not mention a single word about Jared Lyons and George Mason, but I believe I remember him on the Patriots roster. I hope. I hope I'm remembering right. From East Hyde High School in South Carolina, the Reds with the 15th round pick. Pick Adam Serwanowski, 6'5", 190. Fastball, mid-90s, 92 to 95, hits 97 late in the season. Some struggles with control. We need to correct some things in his mechanics to become more consistent. So, and that's about all the information was on him. Once we get towards the later rounds, the information starts to get a little sparse. Just think if we still had 40 rounds of this. Round 16 is Trey Brefwaite out of West Virginia. He's a right-hander, 6'3", 220. Fifth-year senior who pitched four years at Navy before making the jump to the Mountaineers. Pure reliever. Participated in the draft league this summer. Topped out at 99.4 miles per hour, although his average is 93 to 96. Slider, changeup, already 24 years old, so once he hits the Midwest League, he'll be one of the older players. But... Some decent stuff there. In fact, his numbers between Navy and West Virginia. His highest ERA was a 4.44 in 2021 and 24 and a third with a four and two record. His lowest, well, in an inning in the third in 2018, he didn't give up any earned runs and struck out two. So with his collegiate career done, 122 strikeouts, 55 walks, ERA 2.59, 9-4. and four. So good college numbers there. Can it transfer into the farm system, though? We'll see. Out of Western Michigan, right-handed pitcher Easton Sikorsky. Fastball, low 90s, hits 95. Good slider, 78-82. to 82. Change up, mixes his stuff well, throws everything for strikes. I like it. In fact, his last year of Western Michigan, two and one, an ERA that's a little bit high, 5.46. Two home runs given up, walked six, struck out 15, and 127 innings, a staff ERA of 4.46. Excuse me, his career ERA at 4.46. Not sure why I said staff. Nine wins, six losses. So, good stuff. There's a high school called Basic. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so much, but Basic High School, Nevada. This is Mason Neville. He's an outfielder, six foot three, one seventy five. A tougher sign, rated as the one hundred second best prospect in the draft by MLB Pipeline, but then fell out of the top ten rounds. So maybe the Reds getting more value out of this. Questions about the hit tool, but every aspect is average to plus. Quality pitching prospect in draft two. At the plate, he's got above average power potential in the field. Good defender with above average speed and a plus arm. And really not much stats on basic high school's Mason Neville. But maybe something that uh, can be molded into something usable. Round 19 is Tyler Chadwick out of Iowa Western Community College. Right-handed pitcher, 6'5", 230. Fastball works in the low 90s, tops out at 96. Can throw a changeup in a slider from the low to mid-80s. Slider is the better of the two. Pitched as a freshman in West Virginia before 
transferring to Iowa Western for his sophomore year. In fact, night and day difference on his numbers didn't take a loss in college, according to the college stats. With West Virginia, one win, no loss, a 6.75 ERA and 10 and two-thirds, 15 walks, 17 strikeouts, and these numbers get better when he goes to IWCC. 5-0 record, a 3.21 ERA, 28 innings, with 13 walks, 32 strikeouts. So, three pitch selection there. Not bad. And round 20 is Joseph Menifee out of Texas A&M. A lefty, 6'2", 220. Low 90s, topping around 95. Good slider. And the struggling with control and command hurt him with the Aggies. His Texas A&M stats, 13-6, 4.36 ERA, walking 80 and striking out 193. So that's your draft of the Reds. Those are your newest Reds. And now we look who has all signed. And as of August the 2nd, 1030, only Mason Neville and Tyler Chadwick have not signed. Everyone else has. And at this point, the Reds have negative $409,500, meaning they went over their draft spending cap and the slotted money for signed picks. And really, you look, this is also RedsMinorLeagues.com, you look and see, I'm pretty sure everyone outside the first pick signed for less. In fact, Rob Hensey, the ninth round pick, signed for 400, excuse me, 47,500 when the target was 160,000. So, yeah, savings. There's a couple that signed at the, you know, price point, 125,000, more towards the latter end. But the only one that I can tell that signed for more. And I think this is a good strategy here. Signing for 5 million when the slot was uh, 3.6 mil. Cam Collier. Again, that sounds like the dude that will be ready to go the quickest. But then again, top 10 in the draft boards. Yeah, I think that is probably uh, the right thing to talk about. So it used to be these draft picks would then go to rookie league, either Billings or Greenville, Tennessee. Now we don't have that now, do we? So the big question is, will any of these draft picks see Dayton in 2022? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, be nice to see, but we're talking a month and about two weeks left of the season which we will talk about the teams shortly and plus the trades the Reds have made. But that is your 2022 Reds MLB draft, which garnished an A minus grade by BleacherReport.com. And now the trading post, Red Legs edition. Now, today, the day of recording, August the 2nd, is the trade deadline at 6 p.m which just means now they have to clear waivers before they get traded after today. But Reds, they have traded away. They have sellers, as you might expect. And two already done. One, I think, will make us more sad than the other. We'll start off with Red Sox acquiring Tommy Pham. I saw a lot of people that liked Pham. I saw a lot of people that didn't like Pham. Some people saw him as a polarizing character, but the Reds trade him for cash considerations or a player to be named later. Cash considerations is, is this cash? Yep, I consider that cash. Okay, there you go. No, it's just, you know, money for Tommy Pham or maybe a player to be named later, which if it's a player to be named later, it's going to be 99 times out of 100 Someone from the minor leagues, you're not getting like a Christian Vazquez or a J.D. Martinez or someone or Xander Bogarts. Is he still in the Red Sox? I think I'm Mookie Beck, so it's no longer with the Red Sox. But someone like that, because normally blockbuster ones aren't later. 
you get what I'm saying. Then again, the Reds couldn't get Christian Vasquez. Red Sox already dealt him to the Houston Astros. So Tommy Pham going to Boston. This is a Red Sox team that is last in the AL East, but still at 500 and still has yet to win a series in the AL East. How? how I mean, that's just funny. I had a look at the standings at the first take and the Yankees still crushing it. And then there's Toronto at second place. Maybe that Charlie Montoya firing wasn't such a bad idea. I mean, hey, Blue Jays have plenty of potential. AL East is a just a slugfest. Then there's Tampa Bay in third. Baltimore not racing towards their 100th loss, which is nice to see. Although Baltimore just got rid of Trey Mancini, and that made me a little sad. His last series with the Orioles was in Cincinnati. So he is now with the Astros as well. So Astros doing a lot of shopping and picking up a lot of good things. Reds, however, they pick up a lot of good things with their previous trade before shipping out uh, Tommy Pham. Luis Castillo dealt to Seattle for four major prospects. I mean, these seem like really, really good prospects. This is from July 29th on MLBTradeRumors.com. Anthony Franco with the article. All-star Luis Castillo heads to Seattle and the Reds will bring in highly regarded infielders Noel V, Marte, Edwin Arroyo, and right-handed pitchers Levi Stout and Andrew Moore. So maybe that transaction I saw on the Dragons page, Andrew Moore going to, oh, was it Arizona League? I think it's Arizona League Reds. We'll check in a second. So Castillo, I remember that trade back in 2017 for Dan Straley to the Marlins. I mean, Dan Straley had a great 2016, but, you know, Who's to say it was a flash in the pan or something, you know, wonderful. It turned out to be a flash in the pan. Australia didn't really have the same type of years he did with Cincinnati with the Marlins. And we got an ace out of it. Luis Castillo. I was weirded out to say that Castillo had a losing record with the Reds. Like, really? Castillo did? Wow. But. Ace, a 2.86 ERA. Despite playing in one of the most hitter-friendly parks in the league, punched out nearly 26% of his hitters in walk rate at 8%. And his grounder rating this year, 47.1, a little bit lower than what he normally has, but still not bad. Nearly half of the pitcher's face get a ground ball against you. That's not bad. I mean, Luis Castillo definitely... One of the aces in the Reds system. So let's talk about what the Reds are getting back. And I tell you, reading on these guys, it makes me excited. Yes, I'm sad. We no longer have Luis Castillo and no longer get to celebrate Le Pedro Day in Cincinnati or Dayton this year because he had a rehab start. But I will say what we're getting back. And those are some really, really Good prospects. Marte and Arroyo, top two prospects in the Seattle system on Baseball America's most updated top 100 and respectively checking in the league 47th and 48th. So you get a pair of top 50 prospects in the entire system, in the entire baseball system. Noel V. Marte is the most well-known of this four. Entered the season, the game's top 15 farmhands in the estimation of Keith Law of The Athletic, Fangraphs, and ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. So Marte is a 6'3 infielder, universally projected as a possible plus power hitter, capable of giving you 25 or more home runs every year at his peak. Exclusively a shortstop in the minors, Evaluators suggest he might eventually grow out of that position, especially if, you know, one Ellie De La Cruz comes to the Reds, probably not next year, probably looking at 2024, maybe, depending on how well he does double A and triple A, I suppose. He's expected to stick on the infield as a possible above average third baseman. You know, Cam Collier, he needs a little time to grow, so maybe that will work. 
Spent the year in high A as a 20-year-old. Put up a nice line of 270 with 15 homers. Walked about 11% of the time. And striking out about 21% of the time. That's manageable through 389 plate appearances. So it's possible Marte might stick in the high A level and go to Dayton. It's possible. And I think Tom Nichols mentioned that out of those four, he's most likely to see some time in Dayton this year. It's also possible he might get the call up to Chattanooga. But I think the lookouts are pretty stacked on talent. So he might stick in high A for a little bit. So last year's second round pick for Seattle, a Royal, he's 18, already elevated his stock in his first full professional season. In low A this year, he has a 316 batting average, collecting 13 homers, 19 doubles, and swiping 21 bases. That kind of offensive performance was unexpected as the switch hitter entered the season more regarded for his potential plus defense at shortstop than his bat. I think we're okay in the shortstop position. But again, you know, the Reds see that some people are better in other spots in the infield. Maybe try them in the outfield. You know, it doesn't mean they have to stick in shortstop. Otherwise, the Reds would have like 12 shortstops at this point. And that would be rather silly because you need just one shortstop. Levi Stout recently teched in as the M's number 10 prospect by Baseball America. 24-year-old righty has struggled at double-A this year. His ERA is at 5.28 across 87 innings, slightly below average strikeout rate at 22%, but a much better walk percentage at rounded up 6%. That's more palatable. BA writes that his fast up 94, his fast up, his fastball is up around 94 to 98, a solid array of secondary offerings led by the changeup. He'll be added to the 40-man roster if the Reds want to keep him so the Rule 5 draft teams don't swipe him away. Regarded as a possible back-of-the-rotation starter. Now, Andrew Moore, not to be confused with the former Seattle starter of the same name, 14th-round pick last year out of junior college. This 22-year-old has worked exclusively out of the bullpen in low A, posting a 1.95 ERA through 32 and a third with a ridiculous strikeout rate at 43.6. So more likely Stout will possibly go to double A, maybe work on his mechanics in Dayton, possibly. More probably going to Daytona. Probably. But ridiculous strikeout rate, nearly 44%. Walking 13% of his opponents. Fastball 95-97. Swing and a miss. Breaking pitch. Interesting lower level bullpen arm to Cincinnati system. So I like the pickup. I mean, yes, I will miss the player Luis Castillo and what he did for Cincinnati. But, you know, maybe it was time to restock the farm. And maybe the Reds will look even more dangerous when those guys are ready. I don't know. but. That's the two trades thus far that Cincinnati has done in recent days. And today's the last day of the trade deadline at 6 o'clock. And the last trade I am spying is the Orioles sending out Jorge Lopez to the Twins. And right now there's a lot of optimism that the Padres will scoop up Juan Soto. How many star players are the Padres going to get underperform? I know the Dodgers are really good, but come on. They got Manny Machado. They got all those guys. It should be a fun lineup. It should be a playoff lineup. But uh, Padres always find themselves shooting themselves in the foot. So there you go. That's your look at the Reds. Two big trades so far this past week. The problem with doing an episode right before trade deadline goes kaput is the fact that I could be missing stuff in the next six hours, which sucks, but I'll take my chances. Looks like that Juan Soto deal might be going through from Washington to San Diego and a whole boatload of prospects heading over to Washington and a lot of them playing at Fort Wayne. So that's going to make things interesting for the tin caps in the second half. So I'll tell you a little bit more about local sports around here. 
FC Dayton completed their first season, the women's soccer team that played at Centerville. Great year for FC Dayton. And they made it to the Ohio River or the Ohio Valley Division Championship, but fell 6-0 to the Cleveland Ambassadors. Still a great year, just two losses on the year for Bradley Schluter's FC Dayton side. And I can't wait to see what they do next year. Uh, soccer season's over for both men and women until we get to college, which is just in a few weeks. As Dayton Dutch Lions... Both rough years, men and women, FC Dana mentioned uh, Kings Hammer. The men's team got to the playoffs as the number two team. So that's a good Cincinnati squad. And I'm glad that they represent the local area along with the Dutch Lions. And baseball wise, the Hamilton Joes won their second straight Great Lakes title. They took it two out of three against the Lima locals. The Rematch of last year and Hamilton taking both of those. Hamilton now with four titles coming back home to Foundation Field. And with that, Lima is now looking for not only a head coach, but a general manager. Both stepped away after the conclusion of 2022 season. I mean, that Lima job is really, really attractive. Just how well Lima has built their franchise up one of the oldest in fact the oldest in the great lakes 1989 i believe and still just rocking along i mean yeah back-to-back title losses to hamilton that doesn't feel good but still you should be pretty proud on where you are as for hamilton wow joe noxall's watching down smiling his hometown summer team bringing home another championship for now for hamilton and yes joe noxall is the namesake of the Hamilton Joes. I really, really like that. In the Prospect League, we're heading into our final week of the regular season, and the Champion City Kings are one and a half back of a playoff spot, and they are playing home for four of the next five days. And the road game they will play is at Chillicothe. Doubleheader against West Virginia tonight. Home game against Johnstown Wednesday and Thursday at Chillicothe Friday and hosting Chillicothe Saturday, looking for another trip to Chillicothe on Sunday. Paints clinched up the first half on June 28th and the Kings, they are one and a half back of Johnstown with the Millrats coming in Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see if the Millrats can stay road warriors. They played their home slate all throughout and now the Kings, they have all but one game at Carlton Davidson Stadium. So it's going to be a very exciting finish. And if you are interested in Champion City Kings, uh, check out my Kings podcast at championcitykings.com or pretty much where you get your podcasts. Or if you get, you know, the Cincinnati Dane Sports podcast somewhere, you're most likely getting that one as well. It's King Me, the Champion City Kings podcast. I mentioned it before getting into the baseball topic, but... The TKDS Sports Partnership still on with iHeartRadio Dayton and the sports radio stuff will happen August the 8th. And yours truly is try hosting a football score show every Saturday morning from 8 to 11 on 980. Can't wait to have that aboard. I'll be teaming up with Jackson Lightcap and Matt Pennington and I'll be bringing my Cincinnati spin into this Southwest Ohio sports show. You know, not having local sports on local sports radio is boring. So I'm glad 980 is, you know, embracing local sports once again. Dayton Dragons, Wright State Raiders, Wright State Coaches Show, and now this partnership with TKDS Sports. Also, once the Dayton Dragons are done, Centerville Elks games can be heard on 980 AM. Which is really exciting. And I love this partnership. We mentioned in the last episode, but I'm going to help out as much as I can. And I think that will do it for this episode. Uh, Talking about the draft picks of the Reds again, a minus ranking from Bleacher Report. I quite like what the Reds can get. Of course, that doesn't mean their careers are promised in any way, shape or form, but it does mean that. The Reds do believe in them enough to give him a shot. Cam Collier should be a beast in the field. Sal Stewart seems like he's got promise. I can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Now, if we do get any of these draft picks in Dayton, 
yours truly will update you on this podcast and let you know. But I just wanted to make sure I covered all the local sports. Actually, there is one more tidbit we could bring up. So hold the thought and keep it here real quick. Uh, WCPO, the ABC affiliate in Cincinnati, has recently brought up that Paul Brown Stadium might be getting some renovations. And there are drawings that are released to the media. And this rendering of Paul Brown Stadium will show nightclub, new scoreboard, and districts. If you're a nerd like me and know your malls, Forest Fair tried this actually right after, you know, the big department store said, we're from New York, Cincinnati is garbage, we're out of here. Oh, wait, all of them were bankrupt and closed out. Never mind. By the way, that's not how I feel. You know I love Cincinnati. But, so yeah, the drawings are quite interesting. You can see them on WCPO.com. Uh, again, the ABC affiliate of Cincinnati by Paula Christian released yesterday evening, updated about 27 minutes afterwards. So WCPO obtained an early version of a master plan received through a public record request to Hamilton County. Contains 45 pages of ideas and renderings to upgrade the 20-year-old stadium, but no price tag. And I know there's a lot of pe people in Cincinnati like, oh, man, all of our tax dollars going to Paul Brown. We don't want another stadium. That's an upgrade to the stadium. Ah, The Gensler presentation is a conceptual outline of ideas guiding the overall master planning process. County spokesperson Bridget Doherty said or wrote to WCPO in a statement. None of these ideas are final. We expect the final master plan by the end of this year that incorporates the capital plan. That was released publicly in April. The team's lease with Hamilton County expires in 2026 and talks over expensive upgrades have already started. You know, hey, the Bengals keep playing like they did last year. <laughs> All that talk on Borwing about the Bengals leaving. Yeah. Which, yes, I know. I, I want to say what I feel about that other team in Ohio and... Sexually assaulting 20 plus women and only getting six games is a slap in the face to women and, you know, righteousness and, you know, not breaking the law. But uh, you do you, NFL. If the NFL doesn't turn around and, you know, say we want more. Yeah, I hope the Bengals will crush Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, there you go. That's my think. I am pissed off that it's only six. Should have been more. But I can tell you the host on Boarwing is probably celebrating and thinking it should have been way less because, oh, nothing was proven. He said that he did it. What more do you want? Anyway. Yeah, I, I've had to bite my tongue and hold all my thoughts because, yeah, I'm a professional. I don't want people thinking I'm unprofessional, but there you go. So basically looking at the drawing, the traditional upgrades are in yellow function and flow, which is entrance and everything in red and new fans, new experiences in green. Actually, is there a way to make this big? Hey, there we go. So some of the traditional upgrades, uh, the scoreboard was mentioned, conditioned area for West 50 yard lower bull seats. Conditioned area for West 50 Bowl seats, huh? Uh, seat, lodge boxes, graphics, LED screens, and concourse areas. Relocate the press box, which is T6 on the map. I think I move it off center to left. I, I don't know about that one. I don't know. Energize convertible clubs. Energize, huh? Keeps going and going. Sorry. Fireworks will be, what is that? Towards the highway, looks like. I don't know. You can see it for yourself on uh, WCPO's website. It, it's really interesting. And also, they're looking to add cascading balconies to the southeast corner of the stadium, which would be closer to the river and Great American. It'd be similar to the outfield decks at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which is a baseball field I want to get to one day because it is absolutely gorgeous there. 
And luckily, the Orioles are playing much better baseball to warrant it. But there you go. Also being considered new South rooftop experiences, a sky bridge to connect the upper concourses, live sports betting club. You know, it's becoming it's becoming legal in Ohio in 2023. Be funny if it was becoming illegal and the Bengals are still doing that. But a much larger scoreboard with game day fireworks above it. So, yeah, it really seems like some really cool plans. The scoreboard looks beautiful. It's yeah, I mean. And also, you heard by now that the Bengals are looking at selling the naming rights. They want to make sure Joe Burrow gets paid. Rightfully so. This dude has changed the Bengals in year and a half, let's say. And yeah, definitely the better NFL team in the States. Not only getting to the Super Bowl and, you know, having the fans, you know, brag about beating a Pittsburgh team on the rapid decline, but you do you, I guess. And then the Bengals reach the Super Bowl and, you know, those fans can say it's a fluke and everything, but uh, your quarterback is a sexual uh, predator. So there you go. And before anyone says about Joe Mixon, guess what? That was solved. He served his time. Sean Watson's only getting six games. Anyway, yeah, I hate the fact that the only sports talk show in town wants to be in Columbus because all it is is that team in Columbus and the Browns. Anything else? Nah. And why do you give the contract to someone that hates the Dayton Flyers about the Red Scare, which fell in the semifinals? I guess we could talk a little bit about that. Great run. A couple big upsets on there. In case you don't know, the basketball tournament is alums of certain programs and Dayton's Red Scare, just like the student section name. And no, I didn't listen to A on 1410 because, again, the guy calling them hates the Dayton Flyers. So why does he get the opportunity? So there you go. But yeah, good run for the Red Scare. Uh, Scoochie Smith doing Scoochie Smith things. That dude's a beast. Uh, Jordan Seifert. There's some really good names on there. I think V Sanford was there. I think he had a game winner, which basketball is a little bit uh, different. Uh, You play until a certain score like you play for and then you hit a certain score and then you win the uh, Elam score, I believe it's called. But yeah, I wanted to listen to and follow along, but uh, social media was my only way because, yeah, I wasn't listening to a guy that hates Dayton Flyers and hates Dayton Flyer fans call stuff that's relevant to Dayton Flyers. And I even made the comment, why isn't Larry Hanskin calling this? The dude is Dayton Flyers. The dude's been at University of Dayton since the 1980s. Go back and listen to the episode if you don't believe me. And he's not calling these games? Hmm. Uh, Stupid. That's what I call it. There you go. But anyway, how'd I get on a spin on that? I've got a lot to say. And man, I am so glad 980 is bringing back local sports, and hopefully the ratings crush Borwing. I want to crush that other station. So I think that'll do it uh, for this episode. You got local sports. It's too bad you can't get them on local radio yet. Again, should start August the 8th, and I believe a sponsorship was holding it up. So should be this upcoming Monday, and I can't wait to be a part of it. And definitely Saturday morning uh, football score show will be excellent. And yours truly will have that. Maybe I'll incorporate some of the material into this podcast. I don't know, but that's all to see as the weeks come on. High school sports start this week. Golf kicks off and then football August the 19th, two Fridays away. Here's truly it's going to be back with the Princeton Vikings. Can't wait to get back to football. Can't wait to get back to Cincinnati and can't wait to continue broadcasting. This is the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast with Lee W. Mowen. And we'll talk to you again for the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure to bookmark SindayPod.com, spelled C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D, the official website of the podcast. You can find your favorite ways of listening to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, 
and many more. You can also purchase merchandise from Tee Public and Redbubble to help support the podcast. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and the host at the Lee W. Mowen. The closing theme is Cosmopolitan from Pecan Pie on Upbeat. This is Lee W. Mowen signing off another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Thank you for your continued listenership and join me on the next episode.